Uh, my name is Chris Finkel. Um, I'm a, a third generation electrical lighting store business owner in the beautiful city of Belleville, Ontario. Um, there's a lot going on in my street lately, so I'm really excited to see what's happening. And, uh, you know, the, the Confessions of a Rock and Roll Cameraman is, uh, is an unbelievable podcast that I wish everybody would watch. Um, anyways, I'm here today to uh, endorse this podcast, being that it is episode 10, and it looks like it's Shark Week. So, again, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be a Bellevillian. Um, let's, uh, let's have some fun and, uh, talk about sharks today. Hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of Confessions of a Rock and Roll Cameraman. It's Shark Week and I'm here with underwater photographer, videographer, and scuba diving guru, Tony Wanamaker. Thank you, mate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounded a little bit like Darth Vader there, but that's life-saving equipment. And I just have to ask you, Tony, like, you're a cameraman. You're, you're, you're a master of lenses and cameras and camera styles and technology. Awesome. What, uh, what inspired you to become a <laughs> scuba diver? Well, I'm going to ask Elizabeth to zoom in on this fella here. And uh, that guy in a movie, Thunderball, so Creature from the Black Lagoon, oh, right? And uh, Thunderball totally inspired me to start filming underwater. I was so captivated. Creature of the Black Lagoon. I, I, that doesn't really uh, smack of scuba diving. Well, some great underwater scenes with a, with a fellow named Rico Browning, who was using a rebreather to shoot the creature parts underwater. And uh, lo and behold, working under the sock, I had a chance to contact and work with him, right? And uh, chatted up. So I was blown away. And he was also the director of Thunderball. So that's how I started that pursuit. So I realized that, hey, you know what? I'm going to take this camera knowledge and I'm going underwater with it, man. And uh, yeah. That's amazing. Decades later. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, but diving isn't all fun and games. Like you've had some, uh, let's just talk about some terrible tragic experience i know where you're going you were, you were you were getting into because as i read that chapter uh you had a near-death experience yeah um there's a couple of stories in the book that are really really hard to convey yeah they are unbelievably personal and uh yeah the experience in florida was uh unfortunate um and later we're going to talk in one episode about my experience in haiti another unfortunate experience but I had a near drowning experience, Pat. Okay, so let's say yeah. what this was when? 2000 and, <clears throat> and what? This was 2003. I'm okay. on a vacation with my family in the Florida Keys. So you're not really even down there shooting for anybody? Nope, nope. Not shooting, I'm not doing any work. I'm just going to get another recreational dive. I okay. train all the time. I'm very lucky. I have a pool in the backyard and I train there all the time. I take this equipment, folks, and I literally throw this in the pool and all of it. And I put it on and I come back out. But Doug, here's a question. What's the first thing you think I go for? Look for the bubbles because I want to get this thing. This is my lifeline, my air, right? My regulator. So yeah, I'm looking for that. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're out with your family on a boat and you go diving. You, 
but you didn't go by yourself. You never go diving by yourself. No, and that's a, that's a, a, absolutely a rubric. You always have a dive buddy. So I'm on a dive boat. We're starting to assess who's going to pair up. Okay. And I meet this fellow from Washington. He's got his, we all have, have to have PADI dive certifications, which is the Professional Association of Diving Instructors. And we all have to have that. I'm an advanced diver with multiple certifications in other areas, like deep diving, like photography, for example, that kind of thing. Sure. So um, I vetted him. He vetted me. We seemed to be okay. And away we went. And he said, hey, look, uh, I'm familiar with a compass. I'll take the compass. So... Uh, we, we dove in the water. <clears throat> I have uh, 3,000 pounds of air, which is about 80 cubic centimeters, if you will, which equals about one hour at from zero to 33 feet. And later we'll talk when we do deep diving, what atmospheres mean, what every 33 feet means. Well, sure, because this is a lot of math. This is a lot of specific knowledge because you're underwater yeah. and you can't take a breath. Well, there's two things that always happen. You're always thinking about it. There's the physiological impact on you and there's a lot of physics taking place because you're, you're changing depth and the changing molecules right and we'll talk about how air works that but here pat i'm on this boat we make the dive and i'm feeling comfortable i'm going to follow this guy so away we go with the compass and we start our own dive just two of us in the atlantic ocean okay and Rhonda and the kids are Topside in a boat. Yeah, I think my girls are snorkeling on the boat, close to the Around boat, the and Rhonda's on the top side, being the mother hand and keeping an eye on everybody. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So then you're out with him, and, yeah. and then what happens? So unfortunately, time comes then we need to ascend. I've been watching my gauges. I have a, a meter here that's giving me a readout as I deplete my oxygen tank, and Let's, it's also telling me my depth. Yeah, let me see that. So I'm going to hold that for a second. I don't know. Sorry, Elizabeth, it's a tight shot, and I'm going to flip it this way for you. So uh, this is called a submersible pressure gauge, and this tells me my depth that I'm working at, and in here tells me just how much air I have in my tank, and I can make quick calculations in my head uh, if I'm safe or I need to ascend. So this right. tells me there is a finite period of time you're allowed on the bottom. And surely his gauges were reading the same. I would certainly hope so. Okay. So, yeah. So what happens is, Pat, imagine coming to the terminus of your trip, yeah. and I see what looked like the anchor rope. It's the only rope. It's the only boat I'm out in. And what happens as I start to ascend, my life changed. I first see a fin of these just fall down beside me. So I come to the surface, and it is hell. I cannot believe what's just happened. I am in six-foot swells, massive waves, and I'm being tossed around like a cork. He's exasperated. He's foaming at the mouth. He's been taking a water. He's drowning. So that was his fin? Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. So I'm panicked. I'm terrified. He's drowning. He's full. And I did something you should never do. I jammed my hand into his mouth and pulled the flotsam jetsam out, right? And he could have easily bit my fingers off at that point in his panic. But I went for it. I cleared his airway, okay? And I'm scared, but I just reacted, man. And I came around to the back of him, took his pointy and all the air left in his tank, and I hit it, and I filled him up, okay? You see that? So now he's buoyant. He's going to be positively buoyant. He shoots up to the top. He's bobbing like a cork, but oh, I emptied great. the rest of his air. He doesn't have means to, to survive now, right? His survival is a surface. Can't go. I have to make a quick decision. I'm quickly looking at gauges. It's terrifying, and then suddenly, I'm just suddenly apathetic. I lost all energy. Faint can't move. And what had happened, this is the second time it's happened in my life. My entire life flashed through my head, man. You start to see people you love and 
they're gone. And you go, fuck, man, I'm going to die. And then you got to get it together, Pat. You, you got to pull back. You see it happening. And right there and then I went, you know what? I'm going home. I'm not going to die. So I, uh, and I'm sorry. Ah, I got myself together. Yeah. And realized uh, I've got to do something here. So I, 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 like I said, injected his points of compensator positive. I'm reconnoitering the area. Now, the fact I didn't tell you, that's just terrifying. There's no boat. I'm in the Atlantic Ocean in these high swells by myself. And this fellow's drowning. And I had to make a call. You know, what do we do? I think I see what looks like it could be a coral reef not far from me. And I'm going to make the shot there. But I also know from my experience, I could be ripped apart there. So I'm really got to be cautious. So what I start doing in, in my vein, uh, in my desperation rather, is as I come to the crest of the wave, I start screaming out, Pat, help. And it's interesting because that alone, that auditory call, woke him back up. I see him coming too. I see the eyes change. He comes back to life. Wow. I had lost him. He was literally, I think, gone at that point. Sure. And he came back. Now he starts to scream. Now, Rhonda, apparently, and she told me this later, she's on the vessel, which is, it's not, like, I don't see it anywhere. Uh, and she hears my call come out for help. And the, the captain shut down all activity so everybody could hear. And Rhonda says that it was a very faint help call coming through. And uh, suddenly, after a few short bursts from me screaming for help, I hear a foghorn going on. I can't tell you the peace of mind. I recognize somebody knows I'm where we are and we may be safe now. And then finally, I'm one of, when I'm catapulted again, because I hit a trough and I'm pushed back to the top. And every time I'm pushed to the top of the wave is when I make my assault, right? I try and help myself and call out. So now when I call out, I look and I see a thumbnail in the distance. That's the boat. Wow. And when I see that, I'm feeling more relaxed, but I got to be vigilant. I'm not saved yet. No. And finally, Pat, this frogman comes up beside me. He says, Tony, right? He just, and he goes, lay back. And I just laid back and sucked a lot of air to really bring up my oxygen level so I can feel better again. And I could have crawled in a fetal position, man, and slept in the Atlantic Ocean right there. This is extraordinary. It was and, hairy, man. And I want to say thank you for sharing that because- It's hard for me. It's hard for me to go there. Yeah, no question. No question. Um, so let's move on. Because, yeah. you know, we don't want to stay in this state forever. Sorry, folks. It takes me a minute. This, right. this was good. a clearly life-altering moment for you. But yeah. it's, you know, you climbed back on your seahorse yeah. and got yeah. back in the yeah. ocean. I mean, yeah. this wasn't the last time you were in the no, ocean. No, and to that point, thank you, Pat. As soon as we got back on and I, I, I was saved and I had a chance to sort of ruminate with uh, the unbelievable episode. Uh, I was afraid it might have an indelible effect. So I jumped right back in the water and did a shallow dive just to clear my head. I had to know I could still do this. And uh, that was refreshing. It did clear my head. And as a consequence, it turned out to be a real big factor in my success in filming Sharks later for a uh, TV show, believe it or not. So yeah. you went back into the water yeah. just to get over your fear. You had to recondition your whole body, your whole being yeah. Yeah. To, to get back. That's exactly what happened. That's yeah. Well, I you know I I now know you uh, much more uh, through what I've read, Thanks, but also in our conversations, and um, and you're the guy who who's always looking to find the joy and yeah. excitement in something. 
hundred percent, my friend. So let's bring Thank it you. back to that. Let's yeah. get back to the Thank joy you. and excitement yeah. of yeah. diving. Because it's incredible. And what we're going to talk about now uh, is something that is uh, the pinnacle of, of diving, I think, if, if you're an underwater photographer. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go to 2006, a yeah, mere three years later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're with Phil Coogan? Phil Coogan. Phil Coogan. Coogan. He's, he's a Kiwi. He's always upbeat and always happy. He just keeps going and going and going. Well, Phil inspired me. He had a near-death experience I read about, and he inspired me uh, and uh, gave me a shout that, uh, hey, would I had this show as the director of photography and underwater cinematographer, and everybody knows the show Amazing Race. So uh, Phil started the show called No Opportunity Wasted, based, based on his right experience. Uh, yeah. Never let a day go by. Never waste it. Right? That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So he called Phil from The Amazing Race. Yeah. He calls you up and he says, hey, Tony, I want you to come swim with sharks. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm in. Now, how did he get a swim with sharks episode happening? Well, uh, there was two fellows, apparently. Uh, the, the premise of the series, series was to take somebody who was afflicted by some sort of something and bring them back in. And uh, so, for example, in this case, there was two fellows. One, uh, uh, there was Michael and Kyle. I won't mention now last names, but Kyle was in Hawaii on a trip and he was attacked while he was surfboarding. He was attacked by a tiger shark. They're really vicious. Oh. This thing was driving into his thigh, ripping it apart. He could look down. He made eye contact. He saw his flesh being ripped apart. He started punching it in the, in the face and it was enough that it released and he could swim back to shore. Consequently, on the other side of the island, right, there was a guy, Michael, was vacationing with his wife and saw this reports came in because it was big news, a shark attack, right? Well, sure it was it bloody. Is. It was awful. Yeah. So we managed in the show to, to, to find both of them and, and bring them together in the Bahamas. And we were going to condition them, Pat, to slowly work through their fears. And ultimately, we we're going to take them to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean in the Bahamas at 70 feet. And we were going to feed them tuna heads. They were going to feed sharks. Oh, yeah. my yeah. God. Yeah. Unbelievable, right? Yeah, that is absolutely unbelievable. I don't know if I could do that. <clears throat> I'm going to be honest. Well, I was, I was so <laughs> looking forward to it. The, my only fear is when I first go in the water, Pat, because there's a thing that we do before we do a shark dive. And we chum the waters. We put blood and guts in to bring them in. Come on down and chum some of this shit. Yeah. Okay, because they have really sensitive olfactory areas and they can really pick up on pheromones in water, right? So in they come and they start to assault the transom of the boat. This freaks me out. And there's some pictures we'll show you. Uh, I can't take it. I don't want to look at it. It's too aggressive for me. It blows my mind. So I go to the wheelhouse and meditate for a bit. Okay. And I wait till this <laughs> right subsides. <laughs> then I put my gear on and in I go. Uh, there's always a difficult period because I, I don't want to waste... This is very precious air. I only have so much. So I try and get as much snorkel time in as I can okay. when I'm on surface. I don't want to waste any air. And that Down gets I, you conditioned to breathing underwater and, and sort of get your whole body into the... Well, I wait till everybody's in because I don't want to descend too fast and wait and I'm burning off bottom time. Okay. Right? Okay. Right. So I wait till everybody's in. Thumbs up. We're all going down. I go down first and they're going to come in after me. Because I'm first down, the sharks are going, you're amazing. And so the big ones, the sweet daddies, and that's my own colloquial term for the six to eight footers, man. And you know it. And they come in and they are stealth and they just glide. Right. And they are the top of the Funche brother and everybody moves up for the royalty. They are coming through and they do their thing. So they just keep circling around me as I drop down. Their eyes are amazing. 
See these little black slits moving around, checking you, objectifying you, right? Right. Unbelievable. Seeing if you were a threat or food. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or insane. Yeah. Uh, so I hit the bottom, I settle in, and in they come, and I start filming. So I'm shooting all of these scenes, brother, right? Uh, so I'm shooting stuff like the, the group convening, uh, Kyle and Michael feeding the sharks, right? Uh, now, where are they? Well, like they're oh, not just, they're just not in floating in the water. You didn't just let them float in the water for God's no, sake. No, no, they finally dive in and they're, they're, they are chaperoned in, and, and forgive me by this lovely hunk of man, Bruce Kirkby, who was our own Bear Gorillas, and he was hired by Phil Cogan to be the Canadian representative, the adventurer for this series. Bruce Kirkby, yeah. Bruce the Kirkby. Canadian adventurer. Amazing. I mean, this guy is so whacked and, and so charming. I hate him, I love him. That uh, he decided to write a book called Sand Dance, and what he did was he learned Arabic, wow, kind of hard language, and and then ended up traveling across the Arab empty quarter on a camel. I don't know many people have ever done that, but that's the guy I'm working with. So not only can can Bruce uh, uh, light a fire with a flint, he can build you a house because he's got a geeky degree in engineering. But that's our chaperone. He's Kirkby of Arabia. <laughs> T.E. Lawrence will love that. That's very good. Uh, nice. Yeah, so we have uh, Lawrence of, 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 of the Seas. Yeah. Uh, he's going to go ahead and chaperone these guys. So he introduces them to the shark. Because we're going to dive with these sharks. That's what's happening, and that's why we come to the bottom of the ocean now. Okay. Now, now are, are, are these two guys in a cage, or are they just floating around like you guys? Well, and the picture will show it. I'm wearing chain mail. They're wearing chain mail, because the sharks do come in, and... They get crazy when the, the, the sort of an, uh, a cage comes in filled with tuna heads, and <laughs> that dive master is getting attacked. They are hitting his arms. They're hitting. They're biting. Uh, if you notice uh, in the picture, I'm a good Canadian boy. I'm wearing my Bauer hockey helmet because okay. I have to wear a hockey helmet and chainmail. Why? Why do you think? I got to watch for bites. And if I'm bleeding, I have an emergency diver, by the way, who's 15 feet behind me because if I'm cut and I don't know the shark has hit me, right? Uh, in the pandemonium, I could be bleeding out and attracting them, right? Oh, so you've got yeah. a guy behind you. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are there a lot of these guys? Like, I guess there's security, underwater security? Uh, we don't have a lot of security, but we have people on the perimeter, right? Uh, and you can tell they know how to wrestle the sharks. They obviously really adept at what they're doing. All right. And I was also feeling really comfortable. And this is interesting because I'm so comfortable with sharks. The big ones keep coming in and they hit me every now and then. What do you mean? Hit you? I, so I'm filming and they give me a little tap and it's just like, whoa, it's like a rocket. It's like a super power punch from Superman. You just moved all around. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And as I understand it, they can just, uh, uh, sharks in particular at their dorsal fin and over their mouth's pat have the ability to, to read electrical potential. So I often thought, well, if that's the case, so if you're feeling nervous or frenetic, excited. Yeah. Wouldn't you have a change in electrical potential in your brain, right? Well, sure. So they pick up. So I hate to say it. I don't know if it's something else. I hope it's just because I'm calm, but it was dead calm for the sharks. And they're like, what's going on? We don't see any electrical potential, right? You're what's going on in there? You're underwater data, right? <laughs> underwater data. Uh, so it's incredible. Uh, and I think that intrigued it. And I tell you, Pat, there was a shot. And, and, and this, is, this is the greatest shot. Jordan Junk. Unit photographer got this for the CBC. Great picture, and we're going to show you. And you'll see me with the camera. And just after that shot, I look up, and you know you get that feeling. You know you get that feeling. Somebody's staring at you, and finally you turn around and you look. Well, imagine when you look, and it's this large, damn gelatinous eye with this black slit, and it's moving around at you like it's like I felt like 
Ooh, am I naked? Like, I, 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 I felt compromised, man. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I thought, like, how was in- this thing like eight feet long? Eight feet long. It felt oh. like an interminable amount of time where this this locomotive went by me, right? But I was intrigued. I tell you, I was. It was so sublime. I thought I was going to suck all the air out of my tank that moment, man. I was just like, this was incredible for me. Now the kicker. It's just right after that happened. And you take a look at the shot again. Yeah, yeah. You see the monitor. Another shark came in. I wasn't paying attention. And two of them attacked me, right? And one hit it, knocked the camera down and cut the monitor off. So I did a little MacGyver. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Just a little MacGyver. Like the monitor that you, you get to see what you're filming with. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. So the show's over. It's a big deal to go up. Uh, what am I going to do? Yeah, how do you uh, find it? I found the copper electrical contacts underwater, and I managed to squeeze them on. And our friend earlier, electrician, Finkel will appreciate this. So I got contact now, and I put it back up, and I got a picture. And I finished the afternoon. Yeah, no yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool. But no I want to talk about, brother, about the technical dive. Yeah, so you want to talk about a technical dive, because... This is where we get involved with math and science yeah. and gear. Yeah. And life-saving technology. And, and to be safe, folks, when you read this essay, it's, it's, it's very detailed about that. Because if you can take a look at the books, the, the dive books I've had to read over the years, uh, you really need to understand the, the science to make it a safe dive and understand your own phys- phys- physiology in a different environment. So... I'm diving 70 feet, which means I'm diving technically three atmospheres. And in diving, every 33 feet is an atmosphere. So what that means is I have a volume of air that's, that's this big on surface. Yes. And as I go 33 feet, it's this big now. And then when I go to 70, another atmosphere, it's this big. When I go, so molecules are shrinking. As I suck it in, I consume a ton of air. The other thing I have to watch out is that it's not normal for me to breathe compressed air with nitrogen. So I'm taking more nitrogen on. And we know there's 70% nitrogen in our atmosphere anyhow. So So this is happening because as you go further down in the water, it gets more pressure? Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. Exactly. that's why. So the pressure is actually affecting the gas inside the, the tank. Perfect understanding. And so what happens is that those nitrogen molecules get into my organs, into my skin, all of that, right? Right. And I'm, I'm absorbing that all the time while I'm on bottom. The other thing that's happened, you got to be really careful, is your own physiology. Because as you go deep and you start tapping a little, it's called nitrogen narcosis or the martini effect. And it's like you're having drinks of beer underwater as you go deeper. And you got to be really careful because some people feel so euphoric. There's been stories I've never heard, I've never actually seen this. It's just folklore. Yeah, yeah. But they'll take their mask and the regulators off. They go too deep. They don't. Because they're, they're just in an hallucinating state. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So wow. I have to watch the amount of time. So remember I said earlier, I had to be careful when I had to go to surface or stay on the bottom. Sure. So I had to make a heavy calculation. And one was I was going to flip a tank underwater. I practice and maneuver all the time. So at 70 feet in the Atlantic Ocean, I'm flipping a tank underwater so I can stay down. Flipping but, it. Yeah. So You're I'm literally, imagine this, I'm going to take off my lifeline and give it to somebody else and I'm going to take theirs and I'm going to put it on. Okay. And we can do this maneuver with these things here. This is called an octopus is a secondary one I can use and take my primary. So we can start making that. And there's a very specific maneuver to do it successfully. So that's what I did underwater. Okay. So I'm staying on the bottom, but I'm increasing my nitrogen. And silly move. When I came to surface and I'm following, if we follow dive tables, sacrosanct these dive tables, man. And so I'm following the dive tables, but I couldn't resist diving the James Bond set, which is next door. 
Oh, you're kidding. So you were that close when you were diving. I was inspired by Thunderball, brother, and there was the set, pal. I couldn't resist, so I had to go. So I did that. That's at 50 feet, two atmospheres. Now I'm screwing up. And generally, I have bottles like this at 15 feet when I come up. They're on the tow line for me. Okay. And I'll switch off mine and I'll take that air and I'll stay there for half an hour. And what I'm doing, Pat, is I'm allowing nitrogen bubbles to expand, but allow them to go back into my lungs in. and expire that way oh, rather yes. than through here. I screwed my dive table, my calculation, and then what happened? I spent a hell of a night with the bends. I had the bends. It's awful. It is like locusts and mosquitoes hit parts of your body. Uh, a Charlie horse times 100. It doesn't go away. Here's the irony. So I get in my hotel room, I got the bends, I, I, and you really feel awful. You kind of walk in like this, right? I really was bending, right? Sure. Um, huh. And, and I'm, I'm in, because I'm in the Bahamas, I'm, I'm above a reggae club. Oh, God. And it's two o'clock in the morning, the base, I can't sleep, I'm bouncing off the bed. There's an alarm that goes off now. I don't know what to do. I walk out to the hallway to turn the alarm off because it's sort of like, a guy thing. I'm going to lift the hood up. I don't even know what I'm looking at, right? So I walk out there, totally innocuous, and I see Bruce Kirkby walk out. Oh, you're kidding. He walks out <laughs> two rooms down from me. All right. Yeah. And he, he looks at me, he goes, hey, Tone. I go, hey, Bruce. Bruce looks at it, sees the alarm, smashes it off the wall, rips it, throws it on the ground, crunches it, <laughs> looks at me, he goes, night, Tone. I go, night, Bruce. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> That's <laughs> that's how we ended our shark segment, buddy. Yeah. And that's how we're going to end this segment of Confessions of a Rock and Roll Cameraman. Holy, what a ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Way to go, goggles. <laughs> well, Tony, again, what a thrill. Uh, I've learned more about diving today uh, than I've ever known. And... Um, you know, uh, now I know how they make Darth Vader's sound. And um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and being part of the community. Uh, if you really like the show, and I don't see why you really like the show. And this is the order of the authority of the Empire. <laughs> like and subscribe. And tell your friends. All your friends. And with that noise, we'll see you next time.